Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello listeners, hello video viewers, welcome back to my podcast. This is episode number 867 and it's a conversation episode which means that you'll hear me in conversation with a guest. Uh, so what I'm going to do here at the beginning is just give you a quick introduction to explain some of the sort of main concepts being discussed in the conversation. Then you can hear the conversation and then I'll come back at the end to kind of ramble a little bit, maybe in response to um, things you heard. And also I want to just like talk a little bit about some of the comments that I received in response to the last episode of this podcast, which was all about getting a million subscribers on, on YouTube, which I still can't quite believe is true, but apparently it is. And uh, it's, still, it's still at a million, which is not which is nice. So let me now just read from the notes that I prepared for the introduction to this episode. You'll be able to if you want to read these notes, you can find them on the page for this episode on my website. Just follow the link in the description and you can just read the stuff that I'm uh, that I'm reading from here. So this episode is a conversation all about multimodality in communication, multimodal communication. What's that? You might be thinking, well, of course, that will be explained uh, by my guest, but I'm also going to try and break it down for you here in the introduction in just a moment. My guest is Nick Peachy, who will introduce himself to you in a few minutes when the conversation part of this episode begins. But let me just give you some background information about how this episode came about, first of all, and then what the main topic of conversation is, what multimodality is. Okay, so first of all, a couple of months ago, sort of late last year, um, I was contacted by Oxford University Press, OUP. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They publish materials and books. They have an English language teaching department. In fact, I spoke to the head of the English language teaching department of Oxford University Press on this podcast uh, last year, about a year ago. Uh, but anyway, OUP, what they do is they publish academic materials for English teachers and English learners. So that means course books, things like, you know, the Headway series and English file, but also teacher training materials and other academic work about the teaching of English. OK, uh, and what they've done recently is that they've published a paper about multimodality in English language teaching. And they wanted to see if I was interested in doing an interview with one of the people involved in the writing of this paper. The paper is called Multimodality in English Language Teaching, Communication Skills for Today's Generation, right? So that's the 
title of this paper that they're publishing. To be honest, the paper is really for the English teaching community, for English teachers and people working in the English language teaching industry, right? But it's, it's definitely interesting and it's definitely interesting for English learners as well, okay? So, so after I got that email, multimodality in English language teaching, Luke, do you want to have a conversation with uh, one of the people who helped to write this paper? I thought to myself, hmm, multimodality, that's a nice word, isn't it? Sounds interesting. Um, also, I was aware of Nick Peachy already because he's a fairly well-known figure in the world of English language teaching and publishing, especially in the UK. He's a name that you see at things like teaching conferences or in teaching teacher training. So I was aware of Nick Peachy already. So I replied to Oxford University Press and I said I was interested. They sent me a copy of the paper that they've published and um, we arranged this interview, which actually took place uh, a couple of months ago. I think it was even in November. It turned out to be really interesting and a very wide-ranging conversation about so many things, all related to what it really, what communication really means and what the various aspects are, um, which are part of con communication these days. So let's just consider the title of this paper again, Multimodality in English Language Teaching Communication Skills for Today's Generation. So basically, this is all about how um, as teachers, we always need to be aware of the ways in which learners of English need to use English to communicate in the world today. Okay, this involves looking at communication and considering how that happens and also considering changes in technology and how they are having an effect on the way that we communicate. So how do we communicate, right? Think about this. How do we actually communicate? Is it just through language? Is it just reading, writing, listening and speaking? And also, how is our communication affected by technology and the way that technology is advancing? Now, what Oxford University Press are saying with this paper is that more and more our communication is multimodal, which means that we communicate in a variety of different ways or different modes. And this is not just in terms of the four linguistic skills of speaking, listening, reading and writing. That is, that is traditionally how communication has been defined right? List the four skills, listening, speaking, reading, and writing. Now, those are all linguistic or verbal modes, meaning that they are language-based in words. But there are more communication modes than that, including non-verbal ones, which are still hugely important. This includes body language, but there's a lot more than that, especially when you consider how much of our communication is mediated through technology these days. So to try and break this down, okay, let's think about this in two areas. You've got social interactions, that's the way that we speak and listen to each other face-to-face, -face, right, sort of social communication, and then the way that we consume media, Right, that's the way that we consume things like video or audio or texts. Okay, and there's also how those two things, social interactions and media, there's also the way that those two things combine, they blend together more and more as we use media to communicate. You know, we write texts, we write emails, we do video calls, and also. We create media more and more. We combine text, images, video, and audio to do things like create social media posts. Okay, so we're communicating in the sort of traditional sense, socially. We're also consuming 
communication through media. And we're also kind of making our own media more and more as we share things like, you know, images and create different types of social media posts. All right, so let's consider those two areas then, social interactions and media. And let's think about how they are multimodal, how they involve many different forms of communication. And I'm saying this all to you at the in, in the introduction here, just to try to put you in the right headspace so that you can really follow the conversation and really get the most from it. Now, in terms of social interactions, right, there's verbal communication. That's the, the words that we're using, right, in speaking and writing and listening and reading. But if it's social interactions, it's probably going to be speaking and listening. Maybe maybe you're writing emails and stuff. But anyway, there's the verbal communication. But also, there's body language. There are facial expressions. There's gestures. There's your appearance, right, which definitely communicates a certain message. There's physical proximity as well, like, you know, things like where you stand in relation to the other person. Also, cultural factors come into play, such as things like pop culture references that we use when we communicate, or different codes of behaviour in different cultures. And to communicate successfully, we need to have an awareness of those different sort of non-verbal and social factors. All right? Maybe I need to give an example. So let me try and give an example now of how I have to consider these things as an English teacher talking to my class. Okay, so I'm just picking one example of a social interaction and looking at the way in which that is, in fact, multimodal. It's not just verbal. It's not just linguistic. It's not just about the words, the vocabulary, the grammar and the pronunciation that there are these other forms of communication going on as well. So as an English teacher, I, before I go into a classroom, I, I do have to you know, bear in mind certain things. And while I'm teaching, I have to think about certain things. And I, I, I've become more and more conscious of these extra modes of communication and try to use them to help me do my job properly, okay? Uh, for example, body language. Um, body language, what I'm trying to communicate to my class of students is that I am attentive, right? That I'm, um, I'm listening, that I'm aware and that I'm available so that my body language reflects that. Uh, also, I want to show that I'm professional, right, which means that I try and sit up straight. I try not to slump in my chair or sit in a in a manner which might be considered unprofessional. So I have to try and sit up straight, but also you know, hold my body open so that uh, I'm, I'm always aware of every single person in the classroom. Okay. Um, in terms of facial expressions, I have to. Sh I use my facial expressions to show that I'm listening to someone, or you know, so that you you adopt a sort of open facial expression, or if I'm showing to my learners that, for example, something is incorrect English or something we don't say, I'll probably frown or try and express the emotion of no, I I don't think that's correct. You know, because that actually is a really, really, really um, effective form of communication, um, especially when you're dealing with uh, learners whose level isn't that high. You know, you need to make everything very, very clear. So you really employ all of these things, all the body language, facial expressions, um, gestures as well. You know, I mean, gestures, we, we might not think about it, but we do actually use a lot of things like hand gestures or other things, even just like, you know, if I stick my thumb out, if a student has said something correctly and I just give them a thumbs up, 
obviously that means good. That's that's good. Well done. There are other gestures as well. Like for example, we do in uh, in the UK. There is the gesture of making a sort of an okay sign, a circle with your thumb and finger. But in some cultures, that's considered rude. That's something. So I don't do okay, meaning the the circle with my thumb and finger. I actually don't do that anymore. Um, it's always just a thumbs up because I think thumbs up is universal. So I have to consider those things as well. Also, my appearance communicates a really important message, especially, for example, on the first day of a new course, I've got a group of students. They're all new. They've all paid their money. They've all come to the classroom and they are, you know, making certain assumptions about me as a teacher in our first interactions and it's not just about the things I'm saying to them. It's about the way I look. In fact, this broadcasts to them perhaps the most important messages. So I, I do need to consider the way I dress. Now, when I'm podcasting, I actually dress a lot more casually than I do when I'm teaching in a classroom. I say a lot more casually. It's not that much of a difference. As a teacher, I generally will wear a shirt. Maybe if it's cold, I'll wear a sort of a woolen sweater but um, I'll wear a shirt and I'll wear a pair of black shoes. I, I wear jeans these days. Maybe I'll wear a pair of uh, sort of uh, chinos or something. But it's a shirt which I've ironed. Um, I've tried to iron it well. You know, <laughs> hopefully it's not too creased. But basically, I want to look sort of professional because obviously this is a professional context, my classroom. So I want to look professional. I want to look like I've made an effort. I want to look like I'm being reasonably serious, you know, um, and fairly smart. And with that sort of slightly more formal dress code, it's not completely formal. I'm not wearing a suit. I'm not wearing a tie. But when you go in that direction of the more formal clothing, it becomes more business-like, more impersonal, more professional. So I do wear a shirt, black shoes, okay? But I don't... I'm not in the full business clothing, not full business attire, because um, I also want to show that this is a relaxed situation. It's a fairly casual situation. To an extent, it's a sort of informal situation too. I don't want to make everything too impersonal because learning a language is actually a personal process. I want to, people to feel relaxed and comfortable. Um, so I try to communicate the message of I'm professional, but I'm also, you know, quite casual and relaxed about this too. I want to create the right kind of atmosphere, the right environment that will facilitate language learning. Okay. And that does mean that the students feel that they're in safe hands, that they've got a professional in front of them, but also that they feel fairly relaxed, like this isn't super serious and that they can kind of be themselves and also be a bit more personal as well in their approach in the classroom. Okay. Um, physical proximity also comes into, uh, comes into effect because when I'm, for example, there's a difference between me walking forwards. If I'm talking to the whole class, there's a difference between me taking a couple of steps forwards towards the class and taking a couple of steps back away from the class. Right. This is sort of unconscious, really. I don't quite know how to explain it, but walking forwards, definitely you get people's attention. If you just take a couple of steps forward, you definitely get their attention. So you can do that to emphasize a certain point, for example, to emphasize that a conclusion that you're making about like a grammar point that you're teaching. And you might step back in order to kind of encourage the learners to perhaps 
take part a bit more or to sort of, in a way, open up the floor as if to say to them, okay, you know, I'm expecting you to speak now. And stepping back seems to somehow allow that to happen. These are all subconscious things that I've learned through experience. Like, like your position, the way you stand, the way you stand, the way you move and while you're saying certain things. So I've, I guess through experience, I've learned all of these other modes of communication. I've learned to be aware of them and to control them to an extent. And I do think that I, I uh, use those things to fairly good effect as a teacher, right? I, I've got to the point where I'm quite comfortable in a classroom and I'm sort of like able to able to control the the room to an extent, right? Certainly more than at the very beginning of my career when I was unable to control those things. I couldn't control my voice very well. I couldn't control my body language. I couldn't really get the command, the attention of the room and do it and do it in a relaxed way to put all the students at ease. I couldn't do that at the beginning. It took time. Anyway, so that's just an example of multimodal communication in a social context. And I picked the example of teaching, but there are other, obviously many other situations. Teaching is a bit like presenting sometimes, um, but there's also other, other situations, of course, as well, like, you know, just conversations um, when you're mingling in a group with other people, if you're just standing there drinking coffee with some people, you know. So obviously there are many, many different social situations, but all of these different modes come into effect. Um, so that's the first area, social interactions. The second area that I'm talking about here is the way multimodality relates to how we consume media. For example, if you watch some video content online, this means understanding the various ways in which that media is constructed. Again, it's not just the words that are being used in this video, it's all the other stuff, right? So how certain visual elements are important, the use of certain tropes in video making, the use of different fonts, right? If there's text on the screen, the choice of font does actually affect the meaning that's being communicated to an extent. Different colours also have different associations, different editing techniques that are being used. Music, which is being played in the background, the choice of images which are being shown to you, and the way those images are being put together. Now, understanding these things allows us to decode the media we consume. And this is crucial in understanding things like the intentions behind the content we're exposed to, and our ability to detect things like misinformation in videos that we're seeing, right? For example, uh, if you show a certain online video to someone who has very little multimodal awareness, right? Someone who is not familiar or not uh, literate in all of the different modes of communication that happen with video, for example. So if you show some online video to someone who is not versed in all those things, like, for example, your grandmother or something. I'm assuming that your grandmother doesn't spend a lot of time on the internet looking at sort of online videos on TikTok or Instagram or YouTube, right? So your grandmother probably isn't aware of all of these different, you know, standards of communication, okay? So if you did show a video like that to your grandmother, then I think it would probably be the case that she would be completely confused by what she was seeing. 
or she would experience some sort of culture shock. She just wouldn't really, you know what I mean? Imagine, for example, playing a video of Davey504 on YouTube. I don't know if you're familiar with Davey504, but he is an extremely successful YouTuber who makes very distinctive and funny videos about playing the bass guitar. Okay, and his videos are full of memes, right? These little visual jokes and things, just absolutely full of that sort of thing and edited in a very distinctive way, right? Now, if you show one of his videos to your grandmother, I genuinely think that she, she probably would not want know what was going on, right? And that's because she just isn't familiar with all the different codes being used. You see? So it's important, I think, to have a level of multimodal literacy so that you can properly understand the media you're consuming, but also so that you can communicate successfully yourself through media, because we also are content creators more and more, right? When we do things like create social media posts that combine sound, video, text, and designs. Now, Nick Peachy is going to give you various examples of all these things during the conversation, which should help to clarify all of this for you further. So I really hope you enjoy the conversation. One note about the sound, the sound quality. Now, I predict that when you start listening to this conversation, that some of you will want to comment that you found it hard to hear Nick or to understand Nick. Okay, that's just my prediction. Now, this is because Nick is not using a podcasting or broadcasting microphone, which might make it a little bit hard to hear him at first. It'll take you a little while to adjust. He's using just the microphone in his Bluetooth headphones, I think, so you can hear some of the sounds of the room around him. There's a bit of echo and a bit of reverb which might make it a little bit harder for you to pick up every word he's saying, certainly at the beginning, um, because you might need to adjust your ears at the, at the start of this conversation, but you will get used to it, okay? So your first impression might be, oh, that's difficult, huh? Difficult to understand, because he's not using a, you know, a broadcast microphone. But to be honest, it's exactly the sort of sound quality that you would expect from a typical, like, Zoom video call, or, you know, the the average sort of video conference where most people don't speak into a microphone, like a kind of a, a heavy broadcast microphone. That's not how most people uh, speak in videos, right? I mean, you, you, you must be well aware of that. You must have had Zoom meetings where people have got like different sound setups and some people are just, most people are just speaking into the inbuilt microphone on their computers. Maybe they've got Bluetooth headphones or something, but usually the sound quality is like less than perfect. Okay. And so that's just normal. So I don't, you know, if Nick is watching this, um, this is not a comment about your sound setup. It was for me, it was absolutely fine. And I understood everything. I'm just kind of trying to warn my listeners that their first impression might be, huh? Can't understand it. All right. Just keep listening it'll get better and better as you get used to the, the sound conditions. Um, and also for me, this conversation got more and more interesting as Nick and I got to know each other better. And we got really into the whole subject of communication in its various modes. I hope you enjoy it too, listeners, and that it makes you think about how learning English can be about more than just learning words and grammar. Okay, so I'll speak to you again a little bit at the end of the conversation, but now let's meet my guest and let's start listening to my conversation about multimodal communication. And here we go. 
Nick Peachy, hello, welcome onto my podcast. How are you today? Great, thanks. It's great to be here. Nice, different experience for me. A, a kind of a multimodal experience as well. Absolutely, it is. Yeah, that early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about multimodality. Uh, and learning English and teaching English uh, today. Um, we've never actually spoken before, but our paths have crossed, in fact. Oh, really? Yeah. So at the 2016 British Council Elton Awards uh, Awards Ceremony, um, you mm. won an award, right? You won the award yeah, for... Did, yeah. what, what, what was the award I, that you won? I won the award for teacher resources, innovation in teacher resources, and that was for a book I wrote actually on digital video, which kind of, again, links into this kind of theme as well. Yeah, yeah. So I was there at the ceremony because uh-huh. my podcast got nominated in the, was it digital innovation category, I think? Uh-huh. Great. So I was nominated sort of uh, thinking, is it at all possible that I could win this? I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting experience. I mean, I, I've been there as a winner and as a, oh, I wouldn't say a loser because getting nominated yeah. is great, but yeah. as a kind of runner up, you know, and as well, and it's kind of a, a bit of an interesting experience to yeah. both ways. Kind of like the Oscars for, for English yeah. teaching, sort of. Um, so yeah, I saw you getting the award. Um, you made a speech and stuff. We didn't actually speak, but anyway, we have actually been in the same room uh, well, before. That's great. Here's to the next time, huh? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, so, so Nick, um, before we start talking about uh, multimodality and, uh, you know, the, the, the things that you have to say about that and, and so on, uh, maybe just for, for the benefit of my audience who are, uh, you know, learners of English around the world who might be less familiar with you than, for example, teachers of English, um, can you just tell us about yourself a bit? Are you a, are you a teacher? Are you an English teacher? Well, I always think of myself as a teacher, and originally I got into um, what I'm doing now through English teaching. Um, I was a teacher and started teaching 30 years ago teaching English. Before that, I was actually a guitar teacher, and I taught the guitar in a prison close to where I live now. In a prison? (laughs) Yeah, I taught my first teaching experiences was teaching prisoners in a prison, teaching them to play the guitar. Wow. And that got me interested in teaching and, you know, and the impact it can have on people's lives as well. And I went into English teaching and and started teaching in a a number of different countries. I taught in Egypt for a while and um, Tunisia, um, Morocco, Spain, Italy, um, Singapore, Ukraine. I, I moved around a bit. Yeah. And, and then I kind of gravitated into teacher training and got interested in training other teachers and developing materials. And so now mostly what I do these days is in, is teaching uh, teacher training and uh, materials development and sort of developing ideas. And so it involves a lot of writing and um, a lot of a lot of online work as well, doing things like this, only with kind of large groups of teachers. Really. Yeah. Kind of leading seminars and things, and uh, mm. giving presentations about uh, uh, you know teaching and so on. Okay, so right, teacher training and writing about uh, English teaching. Uh, is there something that you're particularly interested in at the moment? What's the, what's the current thing that you're kind of into? Well, the, I think one of my main interests at the moment is is multimodality and and multimodal learning and sort of looking at multimodal texts 
And uh, that's something that I've been interested in for a while. And that interest has kind of developed, I think, as, as, as the kind of ways we communicate have developed as well. Mm. What is mo- multimodality then? Can you explain that? Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. Um, multimodality really is a, is about communicating through different modes, and often we're, we're communicating through these different modes simultaneously. You know, I mean, I'm speaking to you now, and we're using voice to communicate, so there's an element of our wor- of words, but also, you know, there's this element of body language. You know, I can see you, I can see you're nodding, and that that's communicating a message to me too. You know, and when you're, you know, you can probably see my hands moving. I'm, I'm sort of using gestures as well. So those, those include some kind of meaning as well. And I'm looking at your background and sort of interpreting different things about your background there. I can see Luke's English podcast in the background. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm analysing text as well and, and developing my understanding of the context around our communication. And that's what I guess your your listeners or viewers will be doing as well. You know, they're they're seeing these two people, how they communicate, and and what that's what what's involved there. Okay, so is this new? Is this it, it, does this reflect sort of new things in the ways that we communicate these days, or is this just like always? Is it always been this way? I th- I think. You know, there are elements that are new and there are elements that are changing. You know, traditionally, especially when it comes to teaching languages and teaching communication, often what we've looked at is is different things in isolation. You learn how to listen and you have your headphones on and you only listen. You learn how to speak and interact with a person, usually physically. You learn how to read, and when you learn how to read, you just have a text. But that's become much more complex now because often we don't have those those kind of individual modes in isolation. You know, because we're communicating through digital digital means, and and those things have been combined within those means. That then you know it's become much more complex. You know, like the the idea that we could have this conversation, you know, face to face across many miles, you know, just 10, 20 years ago was all, almost unthinkable. You know, when I first started teaching in the 90s, you know, I, just getting a phone call from, from Egypt to, to, to my family in Britain was a major ordeal, you know, yeah. it was a difficult thing to do, making an international phone call and very expensive. But now we're having these kind of, you know, these video conversations and uh, across you know across the world and and you know for free most of the time mm, so that's mm. one as- aspect that's changed i think and another aspect that's changed is you know okay you know we've been watching video and we've been watching film for a long time but now we're able to produce it you know the the, the concept of being able to produce a, a video that had complex text moving around it, background music, different people interacting, you know, being able to do that yourself in your own home, you know, 20 years ago was unthinkable. You know, you needed a studio, you needed expensive cameras, you needed all kinds of equipment, and then you needed an editing suite and experts to edit it for you. And now, you know, my my daughter, who's you know, coming up to nine, does this sort of thing on my phone. You know, it's, <laughs> it seems yeah. like an incredible leap forward. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we are 
more and more able to to use all this sort of multimedia stuff mm-hmm. just on a daily basis yeah, uh, as right. we produce communication, but also uh, receiving yeah. it too. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, we think of my audience, but also just, you know, everyone now with their phones using the internet, the way that we, the way that people can um, consume English, for example, um, it's not just finding something to listen to or something to watch, but there's with different platforms like Instagram and TikTok and YouTube and so on. Yeah, there's this complex interplay of the visual, the, uh, the, the spoken word, and also the written word all combining all at the same time. And it's all very seamless. Uh, as well yeah that's right and often you know it's it's not only seamless but it's something that we've become very familiar with we in in a lot of ways we don't even think about it and i guess you know developing multimodal literacy is about thinking about it you know it's being about being a bit more analytical about what you're seeing and viewing and hearing the way those things work together and developing a, a kind of deeper understanding of them I think mm. that, uh, and being, a, and that's part of, you know, in, when you're viewing them, that's part of being able to produce them as well. Because, you know, once you understand those things and how they work, you're able to produce them in a much better way too, I think. Yeah. And I can sort of imagine in the future with uh, the way that technology is becoming more and more uh, part of our daily lives and just the, you know, the things, the interactions we have. Uh, I can imagine with things like, um, 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 uh, augmented reality, right? Um, where maybe one day we'll just we'll have our glasses on or something that will allow us to see text or other um, icons or something. Just as we look around the, the the world, if you're walking down the high street, you might see different things. And you know, the, also I also think about the way that we text as well. We communicate by text so much and that involves writing words, but also using emojis and maybe using things like memes as well. Little images that have, you know, little jokes in them, combinations of like images or, or, or GIFs or GIFs, whatever you want to call it, moving images yeah. with text involved. Sometimes there's sound, sometimes there isn't. And we're sharing and communicating with these things all the time. It's really, really sort of, um, yeah, becoming a, a normal part of our, our lives and the way we communicate. Multimodal, right? Multimodal then. So um, uh, many different modes of communication all at the same time. That's what right. About, yeah. What about those modes then? Because how do we define the modes of communication? Are we talking about the four skills like listening, reading, writing, and speaking, uh, or, or or what? Well, we we are talking about them, but but we're also sort of broadening that definition. There are there, there are more, and there are different ones that are combined. You know, we talk. There's a sort of linguistic element to it in that there's written words and spoken words, but also a visual element in it. Both visual in the way that you know we visually communicate with our bodies, but also when you look at words, for example. You, you see different fonts, you see different designs, and the way they're used in design can impact your understanding of them or your perceptions of them, you know, as well. So there's that visual aspect. You know, there's also the kind of visual aspect in, in terms of, you know, looking at people and how they interact together. You know, some in, within some cultures, people stand very closely together. In other, other cultures, they're much further in, apart. So that that element of proximity is something that you need to understand. You know, there's, there's also, you know, 
hearing and listening to their voices. It's not just about understanding words, but sort of thinking about tones, different accents, and what they imply as well. You know, so there are a lot of different different aspects to it that we can look in more de- into more deeply. Right. And yeah, adding that to the kind of changes in technology that are affecting the way we communicate, you've got all those other levels as well to take into account. That's right. Yeah. So, so uh, what do you think? Does this mean that people need to rethink the way that they learn English or the way that they teach English? Um, I think... I'm not sure that they need to rethink it, but they need to. I think we need to think more broadly about it, so that we're we're aware of more things and that we're we're recognising more things. That we're not just concentrating on, you know, is this the right grammar? Is this the right vocabulary? But understanding that those things exist within a much wider context of communication. So, you know, we need to start thinking about that a lot more and and perhaps about what messages are being sent to us as well. Because when we watch something in a video, you know, the message isn't just in the words, you know, and the message isn't always just what it appears to be. You know, we, we hear a lot about sort of fake news and, and different ways of advertising and, and now artificial intelligence can replicate you and use your voice and your appearance I to, know, it's a nightmare. to produce a different message. You know, <laughs> we need to start thinking very carefully about those things and being much more analytical about the, the mm. message we're receiving, you know, not just in the language we're learning, but in our own language as well. And I think, you know, multimodal literacy can help to, to with your first language as well and understand things that are going on in your first language too in that way. Um, are there different processes uh, uh, in, in related to learning multimodal literacy? I mean, how, how, yeah, how does that work? I think I think there are sort of some interesting techniques that teachers can use and students can use to sort of build their understanding of what's happening. So, for example, something that I love to do, if you, if you watch a video, if you're watching a video clip, before you watch it, turn the sound off and watch it for the first time without the sound and see how much you can pick up from it. How much can you understand just by, you know, um, maybe the way people are using their hands or, or maybe the interactions to people, their, their face, their exp- facial expressions when they're communicating, what you can pick up from the context and the way we interact, you know, just by watching first before you listen. You can pick up an awful lot of information, and then when then the second time, listen to it with the sound on, and see if you can check and understand what's happening there. So, sort of mm. build up your ability to be a very you know accurate and precise observer. You know, I think that's very important. Separate the levels of you know the the different modes. Yeah, yeah. separate them out so you're able to sort of focus on them independently and understands that there are different sort of levels of communication going on. And then and then that allows you to notice those things more easily when they're all happening at the same time. Yeah, that's yeah. right. You build, by, by learning how to do those things, you build up your awareness. So when you go out into the kind of real world or, or the, the real world of the internet and you see mm. these things, you start thinking about them more regularly. Okay. You know, 
I think another example is that we see a lot of infographics online now. And so infographics are like a combination of images used with sort of bits of text and icons, and they usually communicate quite dense information. And it's a great, it's a great medium, you know. It's a bit like a sort of online poster, if you like, with lots of information in it. And I think sort of looking at those and thinking about, okay, why have they used that colour? What's that colour trying to tell us? What's what's that use of font? How would it be different with a different font? You know, why that style of graphics? You know, those kind of things can help us kind of analyse that as well. Yeah. Mm. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. You've written uh, or you've been involved in the writing of a, a, a paper by Oxford University Press. That's right. Yeah, it's called multimodality in English language teaching. Um, what what's that about? Well, it's pretty obvious from the title, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's about that's about multimodality and sort of the the changes, the the things we've been talking about, the changes that are taking place in in communication, and it's a, it's mainly directed at teachers and helping teachers to sort of think about these things and how they teach them in their classroom. And uh, along with that, there's a toolkit, and uh, the toolkit is something that I wrote, and there's uh, a collection of different tasks that teachers can try and and use with their students to help, you know, build their awareness and and develop their skills um, in multimodal literacy. Yeah, I, I noticed that because uh, I've been looking at the paper, and at the at the end of the paper, there is a um, there's an appendix, right? That's I guess that's where the toolkit is. Is that right? No, the toolkit is actually a separate document. I think. Oh, is it? Okay, uh, but in the appendix, um, what did I notice? Uh, five key questions of media literacy, 
And um, it says learners should be encouraged to ask themselves these five questions each time they encounter a multimodal text, such as a meme, a social media post, an infographic, a viral video, a vlog, etc., in order to be able to evaluate and analyze uh, media. Um, I don't know if you if you remember the five yeah, questions. I've got the I've got the five key questions. So the first one is who, who created this message? You know, whenever you read something um, or whether you watch something, think about who created it. You know, is it the person who's actually in it? Because you know, often, for example, a TikTok video may have, you know has someone in. It's not necessarily the person who created it. You know. Um, so, and then what creative techniques are used to attract your attention? How are they grabbing your attention with it? You know, um, this, this could be through bold lettering, it could be through music, or it could be through motion or, or an image or something like that. Often you see things like jump cuts in, um, in videos, especially short form content. So yeah, my, right. my, my content's not short form. Um, in fact, often it's like, too long probably <laughs> but um you see with things like you know the very attention grabbing stuff that you see on on certainly on platforms like tiktok which really yeah. trade in that kind of attention grabbing stuff because there's always you know each video is just a thumb swipe away uh you know if, you know someone just gets That's bored right. to just swipe away from it um and so yeah a lot of the a lot of the technique editing techniques are used to hold people's attention that's like uh jump cuts where Suddenly, the, the the image is much closer to you, and then it's further away. And this is often used to punctuate a sentence, which is quite interesting. So, where normally with our voice, we would sort of use sentence stress or intonation or bits of body language to kind of punctuate our sentences and to make them more attention grabbing. It's interesting the way that video makers are using these quick jump cuts and changes in in the the size of the image and so on. Um, and then sudden changes in, in the background color or other things. Yes, yes, okay. Yeah, or, or text popping out at you or something like that to grab your attention. You know, unless, you know, you have to think about that relationship between the text and what you're actually watching, you know, because, you know, it should be helping you to understand that, but often it can be deceptive as well. So there are lots of different things going on with that. So there's a, there's a sort of number of different creative techniques and the third question is, how might different people understand the message differently to me? You know, because we often we just see things from our own perspective, you know, but other people might see something very different in that, particularly people from a different culture. You know, so getting people to think about that, who, whose pers perspective is it made from and how could we see that differently? Yeah, this is really interesting in the sense that, yeah, kind of battling against um, online misinformation and the, uh, I mean, like like um, the way that online media works, it's it's sort of changed so rapidly over the last 10 years even, or 10, 10 to 15 years, that it's almost like uh, as a hum uh, the human race is kind of catching up with the techniques that are being used on us every day. And, and um yeah, it's it's really important that people understand the way that kind of we get psychologically manipulated by uh, the content that we're shown. Mm. That's right. You know, so much of what we're shown now, especially, is is actually advertising. 
you know, although it doesn't say, you know, it doesn't portray itself as advertising. A lot of it's advertising for something or it's trying to convince us of something or trying to make us understand something. You know, there's, there's no kind of, you know, everything has a motive. I mean, and, and that's really, that that's the biggest question really. And that's, that's num- the number five question. I know we've jumped number four, but the number mm-hmm. five question is, why is this me- message being sent? You know, why is this person putting it up there? Okay, you know, I know a lot of people maybe on TikTok or on social media, you know, they're doing it to try and make a living. But beyond, there's a deeper question than that. There's a deeper reason than that, isn't it? It's not just about, okay, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make a few bob and pay the rent. It's, it's you know, there's, there's another message there, especially, you know, there might be a political message there. There might be a marketing message there. Maybe there's a kind of lifestyle message there that they want to convince you of. Right. So being being kind of uh, literate in the in this modi- multimodal sense is also, yeah, about using critical thinking and understanding yeah, that's yeah, the, right. the purpose, the motivation behind that kind of content. Um, often... And what do you think? What what could be some of the motivations behind uh, the creation of videos that you might see on social media, for example? What are some of the different motivations? Well, you know, a lot of a lot of them might be marketing to sell something. You know, often we're trying to people are trying to sell us stuff, or it could be sort of. Um, change your to change your political views or make you believe something that the pattern might well be true you know it might be very informative but it might be somebody's perspective on the truth that that is you know it, it that isn't sort of the reality or, or may not be your reality you know there are a lot of people talk about sort of different culture wars that are going on at the moment and persuading people that you know different cultures are correct or incorrect or you know it could be you know it could actually be proselytizing and trying to get you to convert to a different religion you know then mm. people have all kinds of motives for for producing content you know i think there's a a sort of a, a an understanding or, or a kind of a myth that's that gets perpetuated a lot which is that online media is somehow more authentic and more truthful than quote unquote mainstream media right that mm-hmm. stuff that you see on television on one of the ma- major television channels is being sort of mediated or has a kind of an agenda a agenda to it a kind of mainstream agenda or something whereas if it's on if it's just a video that you are watching on social media that's being produced by someone in their home that that is therefore more authentic and then as a result more truthful um, but it's not necessarily the case that we we can be easily uh, duped by uh, online media, which appears to be authentic, but is also just as just as motivated by an agenda as something you might see on a, on a major TV channel. Yeah, of course, and 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 I think. You know, I, I don't want to knock the the major news channels and things yeah. like that because there there's a whole bunch of people, you know, there uh, producing stuff and and you know checking that it's that it's um, the truth or or, to, or at least 
bears some resemblance to the truth. But I think it's still good to question those as well. You know, going back to the, the uh, an American poet, poet from the last century, Walt Whitman said that you know you should question everything. You know, question everything, question your leaders, question your religious leaders, question everything you see, and and reject anything that insults your soul, um, which is a very nice a nice expression. But, yeah. but you know, so this this element of, of of you know the potential to be the potential to be deceived isn't something that's particularly new. You know, throughout history, you know, power, powerful people, powerful organisations have attempted to control what you understand, what you read, what you think. And uh, but I think now, you know, even even the person sitting in their in their front room, you know, with their iPhone, can attempt to do the same thing through through various social media. So we have to be that much more careful and that much more critical in the way that we view it and think about it. Mm-hmm. I think particularly nowadays because of the, the kind of algorithms that a lot of social media run on, you know, if, if, you, if, you look, if you look at something that reinforces your own beliefs and you look at it for long enough, social media and those algorithms know that that's what you like and so they just keep sending you more of that stuff so you know you your then your any biases you might have become perpetually reinforced because you're seeing much much more stuff every time you go and look on social media there's a, another thing that convinces me that I'm right so I think it's it's a very good thing to go and look for stuff from the opposite point of view to your own and then you'll get some of that in your feed as well. But you'll see other people's points of view. However much you might disagree with them, it's worth thinking about them. And it's worth thinking about, you know, what makes people believe that? You know, and, and I think this is one of the techniques from the, the toolkit as well, is to put yourself into the shoes of the other person and think, why do they hold these beliefs? You know, because I, I know there are people who have beliefs that to me are, are abhorrent, but, you know, they genuinely believe them, you know, so, you know, they must have some reason for that. So trying to understand that I think is very important and to sort of, you know, have a broad view of different people's opinions, not just, you know, the people who agree with what you think, you know, and reinforcing that. Mm-hmm. And uh, also another thing that strikes me is just like the the, the not just the people who make the content. So if we're still talking about online content, it's not just the, the agendas of the people making the content, but also just the way that the platform itself works. So you mentioned algorithms. Yeah. Exactly. A lot of the time, what's going on is that if you're on a platform, it that platform just wants to hold your attention and keep you engaged in a sort of very emotional way. And, and so that might be what's going on that you've got to remember that the platform is essentially trying to hold your attention because your attention is a commodity to them because they get advertising revenue, you know, uh, and so on. And so it's worth remembering that every time you're on, if you you know, just automatically pick up your phone and look at whichever platform it is, whatever social media or video streaming platform that you end up on, the, 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 the platform is also kind of like working some kind of magic on you in a sense, just to keep you there. Um, yeah, so it's yes, it's an interesting landscape that we find ourselves in these days, where we do have to learn these different sorts of, uh, um, you know, we do have to navigate this landscape and understand what we're dealing with, um, and yeah, so being aware of 
you know, multimodality is a, a really important thing today. Yeah. Yeah. Did we did we skip any? Sorry. You, yeah. Go on. Uh, and also from the point point of view of of being being aware of these techniques as well, so that you can use them yourself as well. Because you know, learning, being multimodal literate isn't just about you know viewing and understanding what you're consuming. It's all, also about you know representing your own views and being able to create them and sort of you know looking at, at what's happening to you and breaking that down and and using it as a tool for your own communication. So does that mean um, for teachers, uh, does that mean sort of finding ways to help your learners to uh, create online content, um, right? That's right. I think it's, it's, you know, partly, you know, help, helping your students to understand online content, to break it down, maybe even to the point where they're looking at, you know, what different types of camera shots are being used. Why is this person using a close-up? You know, why are they going to wide angle? You know, why are they looking over the person's shoulder at the person who's speaking? You know, there are all these different kind of camera techniques that that a cameraman will use. So we can look at those and break them down and give students projects that involve them, you know, recreating something so that, you know, they can create some maybe something like a digital narrative of of, uh, an issue that's important to them that, that they can share it and they can make that look professional and and uh, do it in a very kind of a way away. Yeah, we've we've all got to become sort of like film directors. That's you know, we've got sorry. to be we've got to understand for example the what happens when you add certain music like for example if I just added some sort of um uh maybe slightly sad or serious sounding music to this conversation it would totally change the whole tone of this conversation it would sound a lot more kind of dramatic and worrying like this is something that everyone needs to be deeply concerned about or you know it would just like add in this emotion into the mix so music's a very powerful medium for for kind of and one that we often we don't think about we're totally unaware of it while we're watching a film or watching a video We, we know it's going on but we don't think about how it's being used you know, quite often, and that, that's a really good point, you know. Or if you added canned laughter and had people laughing after everything I said, you know, that would be have a different impact as well because, you know, all these kind of sound effects come in as well. Yeah, so many films that we watch and TV series that we watch, they, they start to play certain emotional music essentially to tell the audience how they're supposed to feel in that moment. And yeah, it's, right. yeah, yeah, we don't really notice a lot of the time unless it's done badly. If it's done badly, then it's like really obvious and very yeah. jarring and it becomes cheesy or, 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 or sort of uh, unoriginal or something. But when it's done effectively, like, for example, take the take Star Wars uh, uh, as an example. I mean, uh, the music is we don't always think about it, but it's it's sort of almost like 50 percent of the, the message, really. Otherwise, it's just some some sort of spaceships sort of flying through through a a, a, yeah. a, 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 a kind of fairly sketchy special effects. But with that music, it just it turns it into this incredibly, this incredibly epic um, sort of fairy tale almost. It's, yeah, yeah, very yeah. powerful. And almost anyone who, who's been to see Star Wars can, the minute you mention it, can hum that tune in their head, can't they? You know, yeah. you know the, the tune. And that, that's another interesting thing. You do, you do you remember the credits of Star Wars? They had this kind of, as they came down, they came down at a kind of angle where there was Star Wars at the top and the, the credits scrolled 
controlled at a kind of angle, you know, yeah. and that's, that's something that, you know, you can reuse and it kind of references something within the culture. So, you know, that, that's a, an aspect of multimodality as well is that, you know, isn't just that, okay, I'm putting up credits and they're, they're going like that. And by doing that, you're kind of referencing Star Wars and making some kind of connection there. So there's yes. a reason why someone would do that. You know? Intertextuality, they used to call it in, when I studied media studies, that's intertextuality. So yeah, if you, at the beginning of my video, if I had like a, a text uh, coming up the screen, like at the beginning of Star Wars, yeah, it would suddenly, what, what does that say? It suggests, well, it's comedy, but also it suggests that what we're about to, what you're about to see is an epic narrative um, about English teaching in this case. Yeah. Um, did we skip any of those, any of those five yeah, questions? There was, there was one other question, and, and that, which is a good one to think about as well and quite an important one, and that's, you know, looking at what values or lifestyle points are being represented or what are being left out. You know, often when we see videos, you know, if you look, for example, at, at often sort of business videos or something like that, you know, you'll find that, you know, all the people within it are white, all are wealthy. You know, what does that say? What's being left out there, you know, and what's being implied? Or, you know, through social media, people are, are trying to, to convince you of things that you need in your life in order to be happy. You know, they're showing this particularly luxurious lifestyle as though that's something you should be, you know, aspiring to. So people are trying to sort of influence your value system through the kinds of things that you see. You know, and I think it's important to think about that and, and sort of question, okay, what values are the, is this video promoting? What are they trying to make me believe? Mm. Wonder, I wonder what values this particular video uh, or podcast episode is trying to promote, uh, Nick. It just makes me think now about what is the version of the world that I'm promoting? What's my agenda? What's my what's my secret agenda, exactly, everyone? Exactly. And look, you know, what am I trying to promote? You know, I've got a jacket on. It's quite a smart jacket. I've got a black roll neck um, sweater I, because I'm talking about t technology. So I'm making c connection to Steve Jobs with, you know, a sense of authority there, you know. So, you know, these, these things are, we're trying to con communicate something with them. You know, if yeah. I was on here in my Hawaiian t-shirt instead and my, and my straw hat, you know, there would be a very different perception there going on. Yes. So this is the sort of semiotics of, of everything mm. that, yeah, your, your uh, turtleneck sweater, yeah. it does, it sort of makes us maybe think of Steve Jobs and his, you know, this, the, the, this tech technology guru, uh, but also this sort of intellectual philosopher, you know, the kind of the Parisian uh, philosopher in the cafe or something like that as well, potentially yeah. the kind of existentialist. Um, yeah. I mean, one of, one of the things that I studied as well and that I've taught is, is about body language and how you use your hands when you're presenting. And, you know, and if you put your hands like this with your palm, with the fingertips together, this is a kind of way of, of appearing knowledgeable. This is a way to communicate that you're knowledgeable. You're saying something really intelligent here. Mm. You, know? you look like Sherlock Holmes as well when you put your fingertips together and rest them on your chin. Yes. You, you know, I'm thinking, thinking very carefully. And 
also the way you know we when we visually communicate i noticed that you were kind of with your beard and you do that with your beard a little bit stroking you my know, beard if I, if I do the same thing while you're doing with it doing it i'm applying empathy with you and that you know i'm trying to communicate empathy with you and that you know we're the same we're similar i understand you because we're we're both you know, mirroring the same body yeah. language yeah that's, that's like right, a bo yeah. body language thing if mirroring yeah. so taking the same body posture as the person opposite you yeah it suggests that sort of complicity kind of empathy right. yes yeah so right. if i stroke my beard then you stroke your beard too and then we're on the same page yeah yes it's quite nice to stroke your beard but what if you don't have a beard nick i suppose you can just stroke your chin or or grow quickly grow a beard and then stroke it well, you'd just be stroke kind of feeling your chin or something like that or you could you know <laughs> Imitating, you know, the head tilt as well, you know, the thing about tilting your head when you mm, listen. Mm, mm, yeah, yeah. Mm, mm, yeah mm. Sympathetic head tilt. Mm, mm -hmm, yeah. Mm. yeah, sympathetic head tilt. Okay, we're now we're talking about body language too. Okay, wow, brilliant. So many, so many different things uh, involved in, in this, in uh, multimodality. Um, so it, I don't know, what if, if people, so you've, you've written this paper, uh, which is being published by Oxford University Press. That's for the English teachers, um, really. Oh. And um, I think there's going to be a link in the description, by the way, everyone, Great. if, if you want to download the PDF and, and read it all. That's that's for the teachers, I suppose. Uh, and I do have English teachers listening to this, but also learners of English uh, might be interested in that too, because it's an interesting topic. Um, is there anything else that you would recommend uh, my listeners, my viewers to to go to in order to find out more about this? Is it just the Oxford University Press um, paper or, or is there something I, else? I think at the moment it's mainly Oxford University Press who, who are kind of publishing and, and sort of disseminating information about multimodality. But I think it's a, something that's going to become more and more popular and uh, more, and I hope, better understood through the paper. And it's something that, you know, teachers can get involved in. But it's something that, you know, learners can do themselves to start developing their understanding, you know. is is you know, like I said, you know, just try switching off the sound and see what you understand from watching a video clip without the sound on. You if know, you're watching so, the video version of this, listeners, you'll probably just see me nodding a lot. Yeah. And a lot of, <laughs> lot of chin stroking. Even that implies something, doesn't it? That nodding a lot is, it means you're listening. You're, you're offering, you know, offering the confirmation that you listen and you understand. So there's that. There's also this thing about when somebody speaks, if you watch them speak, when they finish a sentence, they tend to drop their head a bit. Mm -hmm. you know, so they're saying, "Oh yeah, I, um, I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this." And then at the end of the day, I'm going to do this. So you can actually watch and see if you can count the number of sentences they're saying or something like that. Right, right, right. Not, yeah, not yeah. the most rewarding thing, but you know, watching. You know, use your eyes a lot more when you're when you're when you're lo looking at videos. If students do that, so think about these different camera shots as well. Why why is it close up? Why is it going to distance? You know, what's what kind of effect is that having on my understanding of the content? You know, mm. thinking about watching how people interact together. Those are things that students can do on their own. They don't need a teacher to do that, and it will help them when they listen as well. You know, and looking at you know looking at layout, looking at different layouts of websites, and the different thinking about the the different layout and the use of colours and fonts. And different kinds of texts, you know, thinking about those things is quite useful, I think. Mm. 
you got me thinking about the the background of my uh, room here where I do my episodes. Now, audio, the, my audio listeners, and there are, there are actually more people listening to the audio uh, than the video. Probably, uh, they don't they don't have to be worried about the distract those sorts of distractions. They can just go about their lives and just focus on the words that they can hear. Uh, but for people watching the video, yeah, obviously the the background of my room. You got me thinking about that now, and just thinking, what does yeah. this all mean? What what is the message that I'm attempting to convey here with this particular background yeah I I mean, what do you think Nick? I, I can I can see a number of guitars I can see what I think is sort of books on a bookshelf maybe they yeah. don't know if they're books or DVDs or something like that books. does anybody still watch DVDs yeah <laughs> <laughs> what are you conveying there be careful no but you've got some pictures on the walls as well there's a map of the world you know so all the all of those things of course say something about you you know that you're interested in music your culture you enjoy watching film you know you've got a map of the world so you probably have a good you know a wide world view you know you're interested in things that are happening in other countries and you know so there's a lot of information I can pick up about you have a plant there so you know you're probably uh, um, a little bit into nature and worrying about the environment and things mm-hmm. like that you know, trying to get some oxygen in this room because living in the center of a big city, you know, oxygen can be in short supply. So yeah, try and get some yeah. plant life in here. Yeah. Okay. Really interesting. Whereas, whereas in, uh, for you, it's just a white background. There's just your shadow there. Um, I guess this is the sort of minimalism. Yeah, I'm keeping things really distraction-free. I want people to focus on what I'm saying. I'm, I'm wearing the smart clothes to try and look professional. And, uh, you know, so I'm trying to convey that, you know, that sort of, you know, vision or voice of some kind of authority, that this is this is someone you can believe. This is someone who's believable. Yeah, because, you know, I've got my wisdom hands mm. up now with my fingertips together and pointing upwards. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah, maybe I need to strip away all of these things so that people will actually listen to me instead, instead of just wondering about which books I've got on my bookshelf. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, really interesting to talk to you, Nick. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this conversation. Um, well, it's, it's been great. Thank you. It's nice to come and talk about these things and uh, and to share them and also to sort of hear what you have to say, because you know, you've got some really good, some, some really good viewpoints and perspectives on this as well. So that's really useful. All right. Okay, great. Well, um, great. Have a lovely day and uh, best of luck with uh, all the new projects that are coming up. Great. Thanks. Thanks. And uh, hope people enjoy listening. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so thank you again to Nick uh, for his contribution to this episode. It was very interesting to meet him and talk to him. And um, how about you then, listeners? How did you manage with that conversation? Did you manage to keep up with all of that? I told you that it would get more and more interesting as the conversation went on and also easier and easier to understand Nick as you got used to his voice and the sound from his microphone. People often... um, People often write comments to me saying that they can understand me, but they often struggle to understand my guests. I think it's probably going to be two. I'm going to just give two main reasons for that, two possible contributing reasons for why it might be difficult to understand my guests sometimes. Reason number one is that, um, like I said in the introduction to this, I use a sort of a microphone setup that 
is fairly clear to understand, right? I've spent a lot of time sort of building up my audio setup. So I, I speak into a fairly good quality microphone that's designed for broadcasting your voice. It's designed for making podcasts or radio. Um, and so I, you know, I've, I've developed a fairly clear audio sound. So that definitely helps. So you don't hear a lot of reverberation. My voice doesn't echo off one of the walls in my room. So that makes it much easier for you to understand. And I've, you know, I've chosen to do that because obviously being comprehensible is really important. If you can, you know, I want you to be able to understand like most of what I'm saying so that you can actually pick out the words and, you know, you can actually clearly um, make sense of what I'm saying. It's obviously a really important foundation for uh, learning English with this podcast. But then again, you also do need to get used to hearing less than perfect audio because that's what audio is like in the real world. As I said in the introduction, when you have meetings with people, most of the time, the audio is kind of echoey and there's quite a lot of reverb and it's not always completely clear. So you really do need to get used to listening to less than perfect audio as well. So, you know, it's not the end of the world if my guests don't have the same kind of audio setup as me. Again, I don't mean to suggest that Nick's audio setup is not good enough. It's fine. It's absolutely fine. I'm just commenting on why some of my listeners are probably probably ready to comment that they found that a little tricky to follow. Um, so that's one thing that the simply the sound recording setup uh, might not be uh, as as good as mine, right? Um, which is fine. But that's one reason why you might find it difficult to understand my guests sometimes. And the second reason is just simply that you're less familiar with their voice. You, you, you know, if you are a regular listener to my podcast, then you listen to me speaking quite a lot and you've kind of got used to hearing my voice and you start, you've, you've tuned your ear to the way that I speak. And when you hear someone new, um, it's like, you know, a new voice and you have to kind of get used to their rhythms and the way they pronounce things and stuff like that. So it's familiarity. It's also about sound quality. Those are just a couple of reasons. Um, but um, anyway, let me know what you think in response to the things you heard us talking about in this episode. Um, did it inspire thoughts? You know, what kind of things were in your mind while listening to this? And, um, you know, about the subject of what we were talking about. Okay. Um, so, you know, let me know what you think in the comments section, wherever you're listening to this. Um, by the way, if you want to read that paper from Oxford University Press, Multimodality in ELT Communication Skills. What is it? Communication Skills for Today's Generation. If you want to read that, you can find a link in the description. It's on the Oxford University Press website. It's free. You don't have to pay for it, but you do need to register on OUP's website in order to access their, their library of like freely published uh, academic papers. So you do need to register, but it is free. It's mainly for teachers, that paper. It's mainly for the teachers. It's really setting out sort of um, certain conclusions about um, the way we need to consider communication and the way it's multimodal, right, in classrooms. The the writers, by the way, the writers for that paper. So I should mention the uh, the main writers of this paper, or at least the experts 
who uh, were consulted uh, in the writing of this paper. So Kieran Donaghy, Sylvia Karastathi and Nick Peachy are the three main names list, uh, listed. Um, okay, so they, they, you know, I just wanted to mention that. So then, here we are. Um, it's Tuesday the 6th of February. The last episode that I published was the one um, about getting a million subscribers on YouTube, where I reacted live to the number changing to a million including a recording I made with my daughter at the dinner table. And I have to say, like, in the last, what is it, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, in, over the last four or five days, I've just received so many comments from listeners, and they've all been lovely. And that's really great and really encouraging. People have basically been writing, congratulations, you deserve it. That's the main um, point that people are making. And also, some people have been uh, have written more detailed comments explaining how my podcast has been helpful, uh, explaining what it means to them, um, and I really appreciate that. Thank you very much for taking the time to write to me to tell me those things. It's very encouraging, right? It gives me a lot of motivation. It gives me a real boost, and uh, it's just lovely to hear from my listeners. And it's lovely to know that I've got an audience out there in the world who are engaged with what I'm doing. You know, it's it's great. So I'm very happy that, uh, you know, my podcast is popular with, with my audience. Uh, that's lovely. Another thing that people often write is like, keep going. Yeah, don't worry. I'm going to keep going. I have don't don't have any plans to stop anytime soon. I don't know when I'll ever stop doing this podcast. If I ever do, I mean, obviously I will at some point. I'll have to, right? Because um, nothing lasts forever. Uh, but I don't have any. I don't sort of plan to stop doing this at any time soon. In fact, I'd love to be able to keep doing this as long as possible because I do really enjoy this. Um, so, yeah, no plans to stop, and I'll just carry on um, as I have been uh, for as long as I can. Um, but, yeah, very nice to to see so many comments from, from people I, I think I'd never even seen before, names I'd never heard before, ne you know, names I'd never seen before, just listeners who, I guess, previously were just ninjas who decided to come out of the shadows just to write to me um, on this momentous occasion and then sort of slipped back into the shadows probably. But, but it was, it was great to read your messages. Um, I would, you know, I would respond to them all, but I just, you know, obviously I can't, I think at this point on the YouTube version, there is something like 650 comments, um, on that episode, which is a lot more than normal. Like the ratio of views to comments, uh, the, the number of comments is very high on that video, just because I guess people have decided to um, respond to uh, this milestone. I got one comment which I am going to read out, and I'm going to call this a comment from a penguin. So if you remember, with my daughter, we started talking about the seven continents in the world, because recently at school she's been learning the seven continents, and she's been singing this song about the seven continents. Like, you know, we've got uh, Africa, Asia, North and South America, um, Europe, Antarctica, and finally Australia. And um, I said, oh, you know, imagine there's just people all around the world listening to this podcast. Probably not in Antarctica, though, because um, it's just snow and penguins. And then I joked about how 
maybe maybe it's all penguins. Maybe that's why the 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 number of subscribers has shot up because the penguins suddenly got an internet connection and the penguins have been learning English and eventually they're gonna you know they're gonna take over the world because they've learned English. Okay, very silly. But anyway, I said I probably don't have any listeners in Argent in Argentina. I don't have any listeners in Antarctica. I definitely have listeners in in Argentina. Hello. Uh, but I said, I probably don't have any listeners in Antarctica, except for penguins. And then I got this comment, um, which I'm calling a comment from a penguin. So it goes like this. I think the, the commenter is called Daniel. Luke, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. Um, this is the first time I write a comment on your channel. You see a ninja coming out of the shadows. I'm from Argentina. Hello. Hola. Hola. Como estas? I'm from Argentina, and let me answer one question that you asked in this video with your daughter. Yes, there are people who listen to you in Antarctica. I was one of those people. I worked there for two years, and in my second Antarctic campaign, I met one wonderful and beautiful person. Now I have the privilege of calling her my wife. How lovely. The only way to communicate was in English, and I hadn't spoken English before, so you could imagine how hard it was for me. This is a beautiful story, isn't it, listeners? This is not a penguin. This is a person called Daniel, I'm assuming. Maybe it is a penguin, but it's probably not, is it? Let's be honest. Anyway, so Daniel was working in Argentina, probably doing some sort of research out there. Argentina, no, in Antarctica. Probably doing some research out there, and he met a girl, he fell in love with her, but the only way he could communicate with, with her uh, was in English. And that was very difficult. He, he continues, you helped me a lot. I practiced every day with your videos, making their transcripts and learning pronunciation. I'm still learning and I have a long way ahead to achieve the level I need. So I hope your videos keep accompanying me in this journey. Congratulations for the million subscribers. Well, congratulations to you, Daniel, for, I guess, improving your English to the point where you were actually able to, what shall I say, seduce this woman who you now call your wife and maintain a relationship with her in English. You know, you're welcome. It's always nice to know that my podcasts are really helping people in all sorts of different ways, uh, not just like communicate in business situations, but to speak the language of love as well. So congratulations to you as well, Daniel. Um, and what a nice message. So in fact, there are people in, our, in Antarctica and Argentina who are listening to this podcast, not just penguins, but actual human beings as well. I could share a bunch of other uh, comments I received um, in response to, to the last episode, but I think I'm going to leave it here. Uh, but thank you very much anyway for your supportive and encouraging words uh, that so many of you wrote. And in fact, continue to write because every time I check my YouTube studio or check the comments section on my website, I can see more and more comments arriving, which is just so nice. That is great. Um, I think I'm going to stop now. I'm going to stop here. Um, so thank you very much for listening. Oh, no, 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 no. There were some other things I was thinking about. There were other things I was thinking about because I probably, because I felt like I needed to 
comment on some of the things that Nick, Peachy and I said in this conversation, right? Because we started talking about the the, the, the semiotics of everything. I mean, the way that everything symbolises something, right? The non-verbal communication and um, how everything sends out a message. I made comments about that at the beginning, about sort of, as a teacher, how I consider these things. But I also want to now just consider that as a podcaster, because we started talking about my room, and I wanted to just say that after this conversation, I started thinking about my podcasting room and decided that I really wanted to make it a bit more minimal. I was also influenced a little bit or inspired by Nick's um, background because Nick had a simple white background, completely white, and also stood up while doing the interview which was great. I've always wanted to stand up to do podcasts. In fact, I used to stand up quite a lot when I was just recording audio episodes. I would often stand up or walk around my apartment and record like that. I've also done episodes where I'm walking around the city as well or going on walks in other places. Uh, But most of the time I'm sitting in this room. But it made me think about the background. And I don't know if uh, video viewers have noticed, but I've tried to... um, sort of reduce the amount of visual noise in the background. It's There's still quite a lot of detail behind me, but I've tried to make it a bit more minimal. So, for example, I've um, the, the picture frames behind me, they used to be black. They're now white. They're exactly the same. They're just white, because I thought that that maybe was a little bit less visually noisy, if that makes, it, if that makes sense. I've removed stickers, I've removed pictures and various things like that just to try and keep the background as simple as possible. For a while, um, and this is after also I did that episode about the Beatles, Now and Then, uh, where which I recorded at home in my living room with a basic white background because we've got a wall which we haven't put anything on yet. And so I had a white background. I actually really enjoyed having a clear white background, the sort of minimal uh, visuals. I actually really enjoyed that. And I, for a while I was thinking, what am I going to do with my room? I need to install a curtain or something in the background. Who knows? I might, I might still do that. I was thinking of if I could put up some kind of curtain behind me, so it would just be a simple white curtain. But then I thought, well, it might look like I'm in a hospital, (laughs) like I'm, I'm podcasting from a hospital bed or something with a, with a weird white hospital curtain behind me. I don't know. But anyway, I've tried to make it a bit more minimal. And also I was thinking about what values am I communicating through this podcast, right? What, what is the, what are the values I'm communicating? And like, corporations or companies think about this, don't they? They think about the values that they communicate in everything they do, in their branding and all that stuff. What are the values that I'm communicating through this podcast? I don't know, really. I always sort of keep that fairly subliminal, meaning I don't always think about it overtly. It's just more natural. I just try and keep it natural and authentic. But I suppose... You know, I'm trying to basically make this podcast personal to show that language learning is a personal thing. So I always try to keep it fairly personal rather than doing some sort of impersonal um, business-like show, right? You know what I mean? Like some of those materials that you can use to learn languages that you don't get the sense that there's a person's life um, behind it. Um... And so, but I, but I think that our lives are, you know, that, that 
our personal lives are completely wrapped up in language learning. So I suppose I'm trying to reflect that. Um, but otherwise, um, I don't know, something, I suppose it's something genuine. I'm trying to be genuine and authentic. For example, I designed this room so it looks fairly nice on camera, but also I design and decorate my room in the way that I want it to look. I mean, I spend a lot of time in this room, so I want it to, I want it just to be in a place that I like. And so that's a large part of it. Also, it's functional to an extent. For example, you can see I've got guitars on the walls. Now, that's they're not just there for show, but they're there because I don't really have anywhere else to put them. And the wall is definitely the best place to put a guitar. It's definitely the most convenient place because you can just grab it off the wall and just play, you know, whenever I want, I can just grab it and have a go and quite simply put it back. And the guitars are then out of the way. If you lean them against the walls, they fall over, they fall on the floor. So just putting them up on the wall is the most convenient place to put them. Uh, we don't have a lot of space at home for all the guitars. And this is, to be honest, where I'm going to play them and record with them and stuff. So that's why the guitars are up. But also the gu guitars look cool, don't they? They look nice. I love the shape of a guitar. It's a beautiful thing. So it's quite, they're quite nice decorative items, but it's also functional. It's just the most convenient and suitable place to keep them. Um, I don't know. I don't know about the rest of it in terms of the values that I'm trying to communicate. Um, I'll let you decide, but you can tell me, I mean, what do you think? What, what are the values that I communicate through this podcast? Right. I mean, it's, you know, something about goodwill, being interested in people, um, humor, you know, the importance of humor and not taking life too seriously. I think that humor is a, for me, is a thing that helps to create a good atmosphere, a friendly atmosphere. Anyway, anyway, you can tell me, what do you think are the values that I communicate through my podcast? What does my podcast stand for? And here we go. This is the end now. This is the proper end. But I'm curious to know what you think in response to this episode. Leave your comments in the comments section and uh, I will speak to you in the next episode. But for now, it's just time to say goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project 
possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.